with me. We'll be in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 16. And if you have your Bible this morning, uh, you will definitely need it. We will be all over the scriptures, probably like never before. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 16. As always, if you don't have a Bible, uh, it will be up on the screen. This is David in a prayer to the Lord. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you form me, My inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. Well, good morning, church. So great to be with you, um, even on a day such as this. If you're a part of our email list or follow us online, you know we had planned to start a new series today, and yet we're putting that off in light of, obviously, the things we mentioned earlier in the service and the things that we are walking through. And I've never done this before, but I wrote a whole new sermon yesterday in light of that. And what I wanted to do today was to speak something that I thought would relate to what many of us are going through, but also something that could resonate with everybody. And I think that today will resonate with everybody because really what I want to talk to you about briefly is how Christians handle pain and struggle, trials and tribulations and tragedy in life. And I know that this will relate with everybody here regardless of what you're going through because I promise you you're you're going through something. I know you are. But pain and struggle are are one of the things, I think, that actually unite the human experience. All of us are 
desiring of these peaceful, wonderful uh, lives. We're all trying to um, find that serenity or that peace, and yet life always seems, at least in this life, to throw things at us, and things don't go as planned, and we end up with struggle, with pain, and with longing for things to change in our lives. And the question is, how, how do we handle that? Well, what is the Christian's response to it? And, and I don't want to be overly simplistic because, you know, I, I hate sometimes when people act like um, when you face a problem that just kind of telling yourself some Bible verses makes everything better because oftentimes it, it doesn't. There's seasons of pain and longing. But, but in those moments, in those valleys, and, and you're like, man, I, I even know I'm going to probably be in this valley for a while. What do we do? What's our response? Where do we turn in Scripture? What do we hope on? And yet today, if you get anything, I want you to get these two words. And when I first say it, I don't know if it's going to really resonate with you, but I hope by the end it all makes sense to you. In light of everything that you go through, in light of all of your trials and tribulations, I want you to leave today at the very least with two words. Because I think if you can get these two words, if you can understand these two words, then what I believe will happen is at the very least, if you understand this, it will put you on your journey to getting through what you're facing, finding peace again in light of your circumstances. Because this idea begins your journey. And if you get anything this morning, what I want you to understand is simply two words. God knew. God knew. If we know this, if we believe this, if we knew that God saw that coming, that begins our journey of asking the question, so if he knew... And if he loves me, then what did he do for me knowing that I would suffer? You see, God knew that trial in your life was coming, right? We didn't know it was coming. We never know that it's coming. But God knew. God has not been caught off by the problems that we face whether with family or parenting or work or jobs or situations or circumstances or money, God was not caught off guard like, oh my goodness, that's so crazy. You're going through that. God was not caught off guard. God is not frazzled running up and down the halls asking, what are we going to do? Because God knew. Look at Psalm 139, verse 13. In our text, it says, referring to God, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You see, God knew you before anybody else did. God knew you from the beginning of the foundations of the earth. You were not a miracle baby (laughs) to God even if your parents said you were. God knew you. God knew every one of us before anyone else did. He didn't just know your trials. He knew every single thing about you. Verse 14, he says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I love that. My soul knows it very well. Like what David is saying is, God, I know that you know me. 
and I know that you know me better than anybody else. I believe deep down our soul knows that there is one who knows us perfectly and everything about us, and that is the Lord. God knew. Verse 15, it says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. God saw you there. God saw you when nobody had ever seen you. God sees the things that nobody else sees. God knows the things that nobody else knows about you and the world and the universe. And then verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written. I love this. Listen to this. You have to really digest this. He says, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He says, God, you formed my days before they existed. God formed them. God knew them. God was not caught off guard when that thing came up. When that problem and that trial surfaced, God knew and God was ready. So God knew. God knows. But here's what everything hangs on this morning. This is the whole ball game right here. This is the question that we have to ask right now. So God knew. God knew that was coming. But the question is, what did God do in light of the fact that he knew? Is this not what everything hangs on? The question we must ask this morning is, how did God respond? What did God do knowing that trials, tribulations, and tragedy would come our way? He knew it was coming for us, and so what did he do? How God responds in this moment, what God reveals in his word, will let us know if we can trust him or not. And here's what I want you to know this morning. I want to reframe so much of the truth that you have in your mind. And I'm not going to probably speak anything that you haven't heard before, but what I hope to change is maybe how you approach it. And I want to blow your mind with the reality that God knew that was coming. God knew our pain was on its way. He knew, he foreknew, and because he knew and because he loved us, he began putting the plan into motion to save you before you or I ever knew we needed to be saved. Scripture reveals that God began building our hope before we even knew that we needed it. What we need as a church and as individuals to make it through the valleys are already here before our eyes because God loves us and because God knew. Today I want to offer you really quickly six things that I believe God did for us in foreknowledge that we would have trials as followers of Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, if you have a Bible at this time. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. 
is in reference to Jesus towards us. The author says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, God knew that trial was coming for you. God knew that struggle was on the horizon for you. And so the first thing is God knew, therefore God gave us his son. We've heard that God gave us his son, right? And we think about that. But for some reason, I I feel as if so often when we think about that, we think of it as in like, I sinned. And then maybe even like after you sinned, right? Then in like the present time, God sent his son to die for you. And yet we know through the the reference of the scriptures that Christ died 2,000 years ago. And what I love about that is that Jesus knew everything that you were going to do, knew every struggle, every trial, and it was in his foreknowledge of our condition as humans and our need that with his great love, he sent his son to die for us. And he didn't only send his son, but he sent him to literally to die for us. That's amazing. I had a friend once who uh, did not grow up in a Christian home. And he was telling me about how he came to faith. And he was talking about how, you know, like many of us, he always kind of wondered about the problem of of pain. He's like, if if God is good, then why do suffering and why do bad things exist? And, you know, there's a lot of good resources on that. That's a whole sermon for uh, a different day. But, But simply stated, this is a vast oversimplification. If you look at the scriptures, right, in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world and says that it was good. And then Genesis 3, sin enters the world, Adam and Eve sin, and then brokenness enters the world. There was no death before that. God gave us the free will to love him, to draw near to him, to obey him, and in many ways we have not. And so when people walk away from the light, they emerge into the darkness. And so sin and brokenness, life is not as it should be because of sin. But as I was talking to my friend, he was like, you know, so I'm, I'm still thinking through that whole thing and problem. I don't understand it all. He's like, but here's the thing. I'm just going to assume that there's a reason behind it, right? Because here's the thing. You can't just blame why do bad things happen to what seemingly good people just on Jesus because every religion and every worldview tries to answer that question, and it's difficult. The atheist has a hard time answering that. The agnostic has a hard time answering that. The Christian, the Buddhist, the Muslim, uh, the, the, the non-affiliated, everybody has a hard time answering that question. He's like, so, okay, so, so if we just assume that that's there and there's more information there and that somehow in the end I'll know because God knows everything, if I, if, if, if I kind of move off of that just for one second, I'm like, okay, so there is pain in the world, there is brokenness, there is hardship, which way am I going to go? Which one of these paths am I going to take? Will atheism heal my soul? Will agnosticism, is, is, is believing there's no purpose, is that going to help me in this? He's like, yeah, probably not. And he said, what drew me to Christianity was that at the center of it, that God suffered in Christ. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Christ felt pain. 
And he said, if I struggle with pain and why it exists, then would not the message that God himself entered into our pain and suffered on our behalf and bore much of our pain, would that not be the perfect answer to the problem of pain? See, the central message of Christianity is not get your act together. The central message of Christianity is not behave, okay? It's not knock it off. The central message of Christianity is not be a more moral person, though for many of us that is how we begin our Christian journey because we want to be a little bit more moral. We want to be a little bit better. And so we kind of come to Jesus like the masses did. They were intrigued, so they came to him. But once they came to him, the astounding thing that nobody expected was that at the core of Christianity, it is about death and resurrection. It is about death and new life. It is about death not having the final word because God sent a son to us because he knew that we would struggle and that we would be weak. You see, God knew that you would have need and God was pleased to enter into it. My wife shared a quote with me this morning uh, from Tim Keller, well-known pastor. Actually, I don't quite remember it, so I'm going to look it up on my phone. She texted it to me earlier, so... This is such like, you know, millennial 21st century church right here. I'm like looking up a text message for my sermon. You know, it's right here. (laughs) She said this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew the full extent of what the suffering that he would experience. And for love, he still chose it. That is perfect love. Tim Keller says that Jesus was the only one who fully knew what was coming. And he embraced it anyway for us. See, God knew we would struggle, and therefore he gave us his son. The second thing is this. God knew we would struggle, and therefore God gave us lament. I think of all the things that we're going to talk about this morning, this this might be my favorite. Did you know there's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations? There's an entire book in the Bible just like lamenting, just like being sad. The word lament translated basically means loud cries. And if you were to translate the, the word lamentations, which is the title of the book in the Old Testament, in the original Hebrew, um, many scholars would say the best interpretation of it would just be how, with an exclamation mark. And the reason this book was written was because in the Old Testament, God had called out a people for himself that were supposed to reflect his glory to the rest of the world. And yet, the supposed people of God who were supposed to shine God's light to the world and build this great kingdom, they were overtaken. And the city Jerusalem was ruined. It was captured by the enemies. And the whole book is just like, how does this happen? How do God's people end up going through this kind of suffering and this kind of pain? And I love this because all throughout Scripture we see that there are times in which we are just called to mourn and be sad and to embrace that and not just to throw the cheesy Bible verse at people. You see, Christ felt pain very deeply, and we are called to as well and to lament to the Lord. Lamentations is also considered to be written by Jeremiah. You ever heard of Jeremiah the prophet? Jeremiah is considered, this dude's ministry was like so rough, they called him the weeping prophet, okay? The book of Jeremiah is this guy speaking on behalf of God and like nobody listening to him. 
And if you just look at the biblical text and add up the people that responded favorably to his ministry, which I believe lasted 40 to 50 years of this dude every day going around, telling people what the Lord wanted, telling them they were in sin, telling them to repent. In all those years, it said probably only two people responded favorably to Jeremiah. You think your life is tough, right? Two people. And one was his scribe who wrote down all the stuff, so it didn't even count. He's a scribe. He does a, that was probably like a pity response, you know? <laughs> Sorrow is all throughout the Bible. And then you have the book of Job, right? And did you know the book of Job is considered to be probably the first book of the Bible that was ever written? Genesis tells the story of the beginning, but Job is actually dated as the oldest book in the Bible written. And what is Job about? Supposedly a godly man who goes through so much sorrow and loss. It's as if God begins with pain and lament. And when I say God knew, therefore God gave us lament when we face our trials. It's okay to grieve. It's okay. We, we need that. We need that experience. What I'm essentially saying in layman's terms is it's okay to not be okay. It is perfectly okay to not be okay in life. It's okay to not like your trial. It's okay to cry out. It's okay to be frustrated. And so often we kind of try to just kind of tell ourselves the right things and kind of, you know, what I do. I, I, I lie to myself a lot. I don't know why I do. Like, I'm just like, oh, yeah, whatever. And yet I believe it's in the moments where we lament and when we go through an intentional season of grief that we actually learn a lot there. We learn the lessons of our misfortunes in the season of lament, not through ignoring it. So church, we have the freedom. God knew we would struggle. And he spoke to us in his words saying, you can lament, it's okay. And when we approach people who are in a season of grief or lament or a great struggle, whether it be our spouse or our family or our friends or anybody, may we just be patient with them. May we just love them. Be with them. Time will heal the wounds. God will heal the wounds, but it won't heal instantly. God knew, so he gave us lament. Third thing is this. God knew that trial was coming for you. And therefore, God gave us reality to lean on. And by reality, I mean his word. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 7 through 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Christian, when you struggle, when you face hardship, just know this. The word of God's been waiting for you. God knew what you were going to face when he spoke out the scriptures to those who wrote them down. And they have been waiting for you in your greatest time of need. Once again, we always think, you know, well, I have an issue, therefore I'm going to go to God's word. And, and oh, there's something new. But, but in reality, it's always been there. Because when God was coining scripture, he was thinking of you. He is infinite in doing that. He knew you. He was aware of you when he spoke these words to us. The word has been waiting for us. See, when we go through trials, if you're like me, often we don't think straight. We kind of get disoriented and we don't really know what's going on. I don't know about you, but like my feelings change constantly. Here's the thing. Raise your hand if you're a moody person. Raise your hand if you're a moody person. 
Okay. So most of y'all are li lying because we're all moody. Okay. I love it when people talk. You know, you know, you know what? Something. Can I tell you a little secret. Oftentimes, when people tell me they're not very emotional, I think they're lying. They're not. They're kind of stable. Oftentimes, those people, they're just as moody as everybody else, but they're just so socially unaware to it. That's what I think. You're welcome. That's not in the Bible, so I don't like view that as like ultimate truth, but <laughs> just think about that, pray about that, and see. If your moods change, if sometimes you're happier or more sad than other times, you're moody. If you, got, if you get two things today, God knew and, and you're moody, okay? That's, that's what I want you to know. And the scriptures never change. What I love is this church was planted back in 1936, long before most of us were born. Um, some of you um, were here. I know some of you actually were, were probably here back then. And I love how a lot of things have changed. I bet the music's changed a little bit. I bet the dress of what the pastor wears. Probably the pastor didn't wear this in the beginning, right? It probably wasn't what he was wearing. But the word of God hasn't changed a bit. Not a single word has changed. And our culture is always obsessed with what's new and what's going on and what's the latest fad and this and that. What's the newest thing you can buy off Amazon? How quick can it get to your house? This is what everybody wants, you know. And yet I'm already old enough to have like a bunch of phones that I idolized just sitting in my nightstand that I would just throw away today. But the moment I bought it, I thought it was the greatest thing ever. I've got like a billion chargers just like, you know, tangled up in like my drawer. And that stuff just fades, it's cool, and then it's not, it's the newest thing, and then it's not, and yet the word of God stands forever. It's kind of like, um, one of the ways I was thinking this week is it's kind of like your birthday. I don't know if you ever, like, I don't know what it is, but we all get, like, really sensitive, I think, when it comes, like, to be our birthday, because we're like, we want to be, like, thought of and stuff, you know? Um, and I think even as guys, like, well, I hope people remember me, you know, I hope we do something, and have you ever had one of those birthdays where it's like, uh, your birthday's coming up, and, like, um, it's the day of, and you're like, so no one's planned anything yet, you know, maybe, whatever. And you're kind of like hoping maybe there's a surprise party, but you're like kind of afraid there might not be a surprise party, you know. And then it becomes like 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 12 and 1 p.m. And you're kind of thinking, man, I, I sure hope this is a really elaborate surprise birthday party. hope someone's going to do something for me. And then hopefully at least one time in your life, I've, I've had one or two of these where it didn't look like anything was going to happen, and then it was like, surprise, I'm loved, birthday party. I think for many of us, that's the word of God. We wonder what God has to say about what we're going through, and sometimes I feel like we're always so looking far ahead, but all along it's been there. The plan's been there. It's been in motion. It's been happening. We, we might not have been aware of it or how it applied to us, but it's been there. You are loved by God. God does know your struggles, and therefore he has given us his word. In John chapter 6, Jesus says these words, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus says there's a lot of words out there but mine you can bank on. I think it's in our toughest times where we can either turn to God's word or away from it. And yet I honestly believe that in the places where we 
turn to the Word and we just kind of rest there for a season. We just kind of read and, and we're not trying to have it answer every one of our problems. We're just hanging on to its consistency in life that it is in those moments that God anchors us through the storm. See, the problem is for many of us, are the majority of our hurts are not physical hurts, they're spiritual hurts. The problems we have are relational, they're, they're deeper. The struggles, the trials, the worries, they're, they're deeper. And the scriptures speak to the deeper things of life. So may we reside there. Number four is this, God knew. Therefore, God gave us shoulders to cry on. And by that, I mean the church. God knew that trial was coming. God knew. And therefore, God has given us families and church and relationships built in. Like when he created that in the beginning, when he made us as relational beings, he knew that we would face trials. And therefore, God has baked in relationships and baked in community just awaiting for us to come to them, to seek comfort and to help. I love this verse, Romans 12, 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It says to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice, but don't try to rejoice with those who mourn. The scriptures say, bear each other's burdens. It doesn't say fix each other's burdens. It says to bear each other's burdens. My wife has taught me a lot at this because I'm a guy, which means I'm like really bad at this. I'm like classic Mr. Fix-It. You know, I feel like that's kind of my persona. I think a lot of guys are like that. And um, if you've never actually um, seen the, the, the YouTube video that Chris Branson always shows everybody, it's called It's Not About the Nail. Just YouTube that later. It's the best thing on YouTube, okay? It's not about the nail on YouTube. Take notes. So, um, but it's this idea that so often what happens is we want to kind of fix the problems, right? And my wife has been very gracious and kind to teach me that, you know, I just want you to listen. I just want you to hear it. And especially maybe for the guys out there, this is important for us. Even though you're a guy, Romans 12, 15 does not say rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, unless you're a guy, then fix it, right? Unless you're a guy, then just try to, you know, say, well, that won't happen again if this and that happens. No, no, no. We bear with each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And this is in reference to the church that he's given us. You see, when God created the church, he was thinking of you and he was thinking of me. It's to be there and present when we go through our darkest seasons of life. You see, God gave us people to walk through the valley with. We, the scriptures say, are literally the hands and feet of Christ to each other. You see, God is not absent if we are present for one another. May we not take the people in our life for granted. May we see them as miracles from God and as shoulders that God himself has provided for us to cry on. God knew we would struggle, and therefore God gave us a family. And then two more things really quick. Number five, God knew, therefore God gave us the promise of progress. In James 1 verses 2 through 4, I think we always misread this verse, right? James 1, 2 through 4, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And let me tell you what that does not say. That does not say be happy when things are difficult. That's not what it's saying. It's, it's not saying be happy that you feel pain. Be happy, like count it joy when life isn't going as you plan. That's not what it's saying. The joy here is in reference to the progress of which God promises in light of the places that we struggle. The joy is not in the trial or the pain, but in the progress. You see, in our pain and in our weakness, there are two options. It can be meaningless or it can be meaningful. It can be not benefit, benefit you or it can benefit you. There's two options. And what James promises us is that everything we face is meaningful and that God uses it for our good. And God confirms this once again in his word in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 28. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here's the best verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. See, God knew that we would struggle. And God knew in the beginning of creation that we would think it is meaningless. And so God gave us his word to say that he will work it together for the good. And we don't have to understand it. And we don't have to see it quite yet. In fact, you know, we don't even have to really, you know, fully be all into the idea. But the word of God says it. And so we walk in that. And then lastly, I'm going to, as we draw to a close, I'm going to read one more scripture. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans 8. This one's a little bit longer. Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. As if all of those things were not enough for us. God, knowing we would face trials... God gave us the hope of eternity. So God knew. So he gave us his son. God knew, so he gave us the freedom to lament. God knew, so he gave us the reliability of his word. God knew, so he gave us the church, our shoulders to cry on to people to seek counsel from. God knew, so he said to remind you that it's going to work out for your good. And then lastly, God knew, therefore God gave us the hope for eternity. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And verse 19, isn't this so true? For the creation waits eager with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, and don't we know this, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only in the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, and now hope that is seen is not hope. 
For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with eager patience. I love that because I I would imagine maybe from what I've heard in the past, maybe at times we focused too much on eternity. Like they said, we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. And yet I think if we're honest, in our day and age, we're like the complete opposite. We love the here and now, we love the practical to-do lists, and yet often heaven and eternity is kind of an afterthought for many of us. And yet Christianity is a life that is to be lived with a hopeful expectation for what is to come. And what God says is to come is amazing. You see, God knew. God knew you would struggle. God knew you might lose heart. And so in his word, he gave us the hope of eternity. You see, God knew everything, and therefore God gave us everything we need. In John 14, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. God knew everything, and therefore God has given us everything we need. And is it not so amazing that everything that Jesus talks about speaks to and reflects our deepest longings? I love you all. Whatever you're facing today, I pray that you will know that God knew And I pray that we will all come to learn that God has provided for us. And I pray that we will walk in those things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your provision. Lord, I also thank you, Lord, that you have given us the freedom to be weak. God, I thank you for your patience with us as we come to learn more about you and to see life the way that you want us to see it. But mainly this morning, Lord, I just pray for your spirit to come and be the helper and the comforter to us that we need. That whatever we're facing today, whatever hardship, that we would feel the peace that surpasses understanding that we would trust in you. Lord, make us the hands and feet of Jesus to each other, to love each other, to be there for each other. And keep our eyes focused on the prize that you have promised us. And be with us along the way. I pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.